This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Hey, Ron, we have Donna Hoffman, an amazing designer, coming on the show, correct? Indeed, she is amazing. She's coming on 512 and 519 with two dynamite interviews, one for the design-it-yourself person who doesn't hire a designer, and then the other one, she's going to tell you how to choose a designer, how they work, the different types of designers, etc., etc., etc. you got to listen to these two interviews, 512 and 519, and you know what? If you listen, Donna's got a special gift for you. It's her ebook. What Would an Interior Designer Do?, Checklist your way to a great room. It's an ebook. It's brimming with over a hundred easy to implement design ideas that add style to any room. Your beautiful home is just one checklist away. It regularly sells for $27 for all listeners. It is absolutely free. So listen those two weeks and get her ebook. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes your valuable home is for you the project replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble free your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors the college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home what to look for in replacement windows how to borrow sensibly against home equity and more college teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune their suggestions are great for roi it's time for your valuable home okay kev we're going to start a new show, and we got a replay that deals with the video that we just did for YouTube, right? It's that really, is correct. It's really tracking pretty well. That it is. The reason why we're going to be doing this is that I had a lot of feedback from people that were asking me about the video, and they're going to go a little bit more into detail. And I said, listen, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is we're not a do-it-yourself show. But what this video was also for homeowners was to get an education that when you are getting windows across the nation, whoever you're going to be using, that installation method of application is going to be used for your project. Make sure your contractor's doing it right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So like I said, I, I'm not saying for how many to go do it themselves, but if your contractor's not doing these proper steps, you're going to have a problem. And that's why we've had so many horror stories with Windows, because these steps that we did on the video are so important to never have a problem. So as I said, when I was talking to people, we're not a do-it-yourself show, but you can ask your contractor, hey, listen, here's a video that I've seen on YouTube and your valuable home, the Provia Sugar Shack. If you look at that video there, you can actually get a good idea of what we were doing. Now, it's a little bit of a different twist on application, but I'm going to go through some of the quick details that you should be asking your contractor as they install this window. When you look at the video, it's good method of application is we use the Tyvek, proper having the, the proper underlayment, Tyvek, and then getting the window prepped for installation. So we talked about the Tyvek flex trap. And the reason why I said, listen, by using that product, it's a little bit more expensive. We're taking the seam out. Now, if you see me wrapping it up the sides all in one piece from corner to corner at the bottom of the window, we're minimizing any slices that need to be made on a cheaper product. That's why I used a, a much, much better product because 
yet is going to be more money. But again, it's lack of human error. And I said, that's one of the reasons why I started using the Tyvek product, because I don't want problems. I don't want you to have problems. I don't want anybody to have problems. Uh, and then as we walked along, we talked about a few other things. They said, well, listen, you know, we talked about why were you putting silicone around the windows? I said, well, what that's doing is just sealing the nail holes that are going to be on the nailing flange around that window. It's another form of protection. Are you getting these questions from listeners, listeners. Or, or from fellow contractors? Uh, everybody. Really? Everybody was chiming in about it. It was because they were asking it, just the detail about it. And I said, well, listen, the, the video was there to try to give an understanding of how things work, but also that homeowner should understand that when you're doing this, this is the proper way of doing it. And the reason why we did this, number one, these step-by-step application is because I don't want you, the homeowner, having a contractor, hiring a wrong contractor, say, missing these steps and having problems. We're minimizing that or eliminating all these problems by doing these step-by-step applications. So I said, well, the reason why I like to do a nailing flange is that it's simple. When people talk about a replacement window today, the reason why I do not like replacement windows is that you're taking the existing sashes out and you are putting a a new window, which is inside the existing frame. So you have a frame, then a frame and two sashes. Mm -hmm. So, and if these steps aren't taken in place, what you're doing is you're taking the sashes out, putting inside the existing frame. If you don't prep that frame correctly, or if that frame is leaking, you've never solved the problem. And then that step from there is that when a window is installed on a replacement, placement, the only thing that's stopping the water from coming in are those four screws and a caulk that you're installing that window with. Once the caulk wears out, your window's going to be leaking, so you better service that window. With the window that I did at Frank's place, once his outside is done, and let's say, hey, Frank's doing the work himself, and he decides that he forgot to caulk the window, the side into the window, yet water can possibly sneak in through there. But here's what it's got to happen for the water to come inside the house. Number one, we have Tyvek rubber. We have Tyvek itself. We have a nailing flange. We have sealant behind the nailing we have spray foam insulation that's airtight and watertight before it gets in the house i'm going to go on a pretty good chat that your window's not going to leak do you think ron no i mean they were put in and you know i would refer everyone to the new pod city youtube channel if you're having windows installed and these windows these were beautiful provia windows absolutely gorgeous windows if you're having windows installed number one go with the provia brand because it makes a lot of sense and number two look at what kevin's doing to put these windows in it's a masterful piece of work and it's the way it should be done correct yeah that is correct so once the windows installed that we talked about the foam and I, I was telling some of the people that i was i was saying about you know, with a larger window, when people talk about, hey, what's well, a larger window that you're putting in nailing flange and doing the certain screws that Provia is requiring us to do? And I said, yeah, I, I get it. But once that foam goes around the window, I was telling about Frank, when the windows were in, they were foamed. I said, this, yeah, Frank's a big guy. And he started pushing on the window after it was foamed. The thing didn't move. I know you were impressed by that, Frank, but it, it's something where these steps that I apply to a window is because I don't want problems. And if you just do these step-by-steps, you're never going to have these problems if it's done correctly. But here's the one thing about foam that wasn't, say, in the video, and it goes for door applications also is you ever watch certain shows and they're putting say a door in and they're putting the silicone in like an s pattern turn on the door before you put the door in because they want to seal that door sill mm-hmm. to the right, underlayment right, right. Mm-hmm. and said so all that does is trap water same thing with the foam underlayment that foam is applied to the back part of the window so that foam doesn't get shoved up all the way to the front it comes to the back part so you want to be foaming the back end of that window the closest to the house the reason why is you want that cavity up front just in case if you ever have a problem say if a window fails or something breaks in that part of the window you don't want that window to have it leak and then come back to the inside you want it to drop in front of that window into that cavity which is a small cavity and then the tyvek flex would drain that water back out to the outside because if it goes towards the back the foam now is going to be adhering to that rubber and to the window itself so basically you're creating a drain plane for it to go outside and it's same thing with the door application because the water is going to be 
coming in from that little point. Our case in point, very simple, stucco problems. Everybody talks about stucco problems. You pull the stucco off. What's the brunt of the damage that's occurred? It's the left and right of the window and right under the, the plywood of yeah, that window. That, yeah. So that's where that water is coming in. So you want that water to be able to allow to get to that cavity, but drain outside. And that rubber that we put on is covering all that OSB or the plywood that your builder has put onto or the remodeler has put onto that to drain properly away and not get back into the house. So these steps that we incur are proper installation for future. So yes, it's definitely going to be insulated, but that little cavity that we create in the front is just in case if that window fails itself, that that cavity allows it to accept the water, can't go back inside because of the phone, it'll drain back outside because now that Tyvek flexes over top of the Tyvek. And once you properly install everything, that water just drains properly right down the wall and then right out without having any damage to come into the house. Would it make sense if anybody's going to have windows installed to make sure that the contractor they choose to do that job looks at that video? They can just pull it out in their iPad or pull it out in their phone, show that I can't see why not. Yeah. I even have one guy who installs windows. He said, but it's a lot easier to put the, the replacement windows in. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And you'll make more money out of it. But it's what to do for the homeowner. I said, the next job I'm actually starting, which I'm putting some Pro-V and door windows in. He had, listen, I, this guy was saying, I've got all these windows to be put in. And he was on the show just recently, uh, maybe about a few months ago. I said, I talked to him about it. I said, listen, I don't do replacements. He's like, you're turning down the job. I'm like, yeah, I'm not putting in replacement windows. I said, the reason why is your windows itself has issues to it. You have wood ratting around the, the brick molding. I said, the, the windows are leaking. So you want me to put a window inside a leaking frame? And he looked at me. I said, why don't we do this? Let me pull that whole application out, put a replacement new construction in which it has a nailing flange, put all the rubbers and put all the foams in and you'll never have a problem again. So I gave him the price on that. He said, you're pretty much the same price as everybody else. But he understands that there's so much more work that's involved for the installation. Plus now I said on the inside of that beat up trim that you have, the two and a quarter colonial, I'm going to redo all the trim. And I'm going to prep and paint all that. So now you're done. So how much cheaper am I? I said, never thought about that. Yeah. I said, so we're going to do a job. People don't usually think about the long term. They don't. They don't. They yeah. just look at what's the bottom line number. Right. It brought to me when we were talking about that one seminar that we did where I said, hey, listen, I, I remember walking into the seminar and I said, hey, I just had a price increase. I'm sorry, a little bit late, but uh, let's get to the seminar about how to install windows and going over windows and all about windows. And I said, well, listen. Here's why I set that up is that everybody loves that bargain price or that shopping price of the sale. I said, listen, you buy one window from me, I will install 50 for free. And everyone's going, well, what do you mean? I'm like, something's wrong. It's a gimmick. I'm like, no, it's not a gimmick. I said, you're a lawyer. The one lawyer said, write it up. You're the lawyer. Write the contract up and I'll honor the contract. So after we're going through, I said, what's the first question you should be asking? And everyone's How going much to is that one window. Yeah, that was it. I said, it's $480,000. Mm-hmm. But I established in the beginning that I had a price increase, but it's that sales gimmick. Listen, I'm not here about sales gimmicks. I'm not here to try to sell you. I'm here to at least educate you to understand what you're getting. And then you can make the educated decision on if you should use me or not. And that's why I sell so many of the jobs because I'm giving them so much more at a valued cost. Because if I do it the other way, two things, I'd be wringing the hands of guilt because I made money off you. I know there's going to be a problem. Number two, I don't want callbacks. That's one thing that contractors hate to have callbacks. But with me doing the work, it makes it a lot easier because I know I'm doing it right from the beginning. But if you have somebody that's a subcontractor, it's just slapping and then it's going to be out of there. The GC is now going to be getting calls saying, hey, your window's leaking. Hey, it's improper installation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a ton of times where uh, one of the horror stories, they cut the nailing flange out and just vinyl cut the windows in. So they were leaking because the, in about six months, the caulk worn out. So that's why that video is so important. And again, if you have any questions, Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And watch the video. And watch New it. Pod City YouTube channel. Just look for the name of the video, Project Sugar Shack. Okay, Kev, we got a horror story today that has to do with decks, right? It actually, it's uh, the buddy of mine who we went to uh, give him a little bit of a hand. 
down to this place because it was a not even a poor job. It was a really poor job. And I, if you remember talking about John, he said, he said, yeah, it was dead of the winter coming up to it in November, December. And the house is ripped apart. There's holes in my house. And the contractor starts building a deck. I said, wait, what about the inside? He goes, no, 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 he wanted to build the deck, I, I, which we don't know why. So when I finally got there, I started taking pictures of the decking. And I said, well, this isn't really a deck. You're going to have so many issues. And I know we covered a little bit of it. But now, like, when I was there helping him out doing a few things, I got to see a lot more of the issues. And you just looked at some of the pictures. So, and I even said to one of my buddies, who's a, a big time deck builder in the area, I said, hey, could you take a look at these and tell me what you think? He thought it was a joke that this was actually installed this way. So first the, the header system was applied, which is fine. But usually when you have a 12 foot span, you wanna put more than two ledger locks or two carriage bolts into the house that are stone and stucco to hold up a 20 foot deck. Two. 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 Are you serious? Yeah. So when we were walking, I, I, I said- What well, they do, put them at the ends or what? <laughs> he put them in the middle. And the, the half part of it, the back half was attached to a porch that was all rotted. So basically that thing's floating in the air and held up by rot. <laughs> the inspector was awesome, by the way, in Conchahawken to work with. I'm going to give him a little shout out. He was really fantastic. He understood that the homeowner had a problem. He got permits to finish up what he needed to do. The inspector was great to do the inspections. I even said, here's what we're suggesting to do. We're going to put a reverse can and leave another set of headers up against the house. But I said, what we're going to have to do is because the way the stairs are set up, you can't put a nine foot landing area cantilever for a landing so all the weight would be hanging over nine feet nine feet so you got people falling falling into the yeah backyard. <laughs> you'll be slowly going down into the the backyard so i said what you're gonna have to do is put another set of headers in so all this work that he did he's doing all this work but it never really was what you needed and it wasn't going to pass framing code anyway because if you looked at the permit and i said to him this is what dave figured out when the contractor applied for the permit it said Deck installation. It had nothing to do with gutting a hole inside of the house and putting new mechanical plumbing, HVAC in. Everything was getting done, so the permit was a lot less money. So he was just trying to get away with it. I, I've seen people do this before. They put something on the outside. So if an inspector drives by, they see the deck going on, but they don't see the rest of the work going on because now they don't have to get the inspections for the inspections of the framing, the mechanical, the fire stopping, all that other work that was never done in the beginning anyway. So it'll be on my Facebook page and wow. Instagram, Your Valuable Home. I'm going to be showing the pictures of the horror stories that now probably about a third of it had to be ripped out to reaccommodate because he's talking about putting unbelievable we talked it with uh, trex just a little while ago putting trex boards on and i said well these joists need to be redone i said you're taking two joists that are twisted and turned they're not laying flat i said that's going to replicate to what the decking board is going to look like so if you want a wavy deck that's great we can do this and the homeowner got it he definitely got it but understanding that yeah you need to hire the right contractor to do the right job and if you know in the decking going bad, and this is where the, the start of it was, when you're doing a deck, you have holes in your house, the winter's coming, you might want to seal them up, but I'm just trying to figure out how and why he's doing this, the contractor. Seeing that deck, the way it was applied, and for our contractor listeners, when you see these pictures, because nobody believes me, when I talk about these horror stories and how bad it is, and the joists, and they're skipped out on header beams that are going across here, you're going to see the pictures. Because I remember you, right before we got on the air, Ron was scrolling through some of the pictures, and uh, he knows one of the joists was cut really short. Yeah, I mean, how do you do something like that? Probably they're going to put a joist hanger in to probably just hold it, which the joist hanger would barely clip it on about an eighth of an inch. 
the question is, is that you have to do the side toe in on the Simpson strong tie joist hangers. You're nailing into air. So that's going to be a little bit of a problem. I said, this joist has got to come out. It's got to go from end to end. It's got to be done correctly because the inspector is going to come out and look at all this. So I find it a disgrace that somebody thinks they're a contractor and doing stuff like this. A lot of people always ask me, you know, why are you bad mouthing contractors? I said, I'm not bad mouthing good contractors. I'm bad mouthing the bad contractors who think they're good. Because if you see this work that I have that's going to be showing up on the pictures, listen, we didn't do this. This was the contractor that did this and this is what he gave them. So if you think that's good, hey, that's great to go for it. But I assure you this, the homeowner is not going to be very happy with the end product. And number two is you got to still get it inspected and doing everything to code kind of helps a little bit because now you're going to have more issues. So then when you look at code, putting two carriage bolts in to hold the 20 foot deck up in the back and the deck's probably about 12 feet in the air. Uh, there's going to be a, another problem that you have to worry about is that deck falling. Yeah, the outer part's going to hold because that header system was fine. But the back part of the house, I don't know about you, but I don't want to drop 12 feet. So that's why I, I, I had to get these pictures. I had to take them just so our listeners can understand that really, I, I don't know of many good contractors, but somebody doing this is causing possible damage, let alone somebody's life, somebody falling because the deck's going to collapse. So, and I believe something just happened around here locally that something happened where a deck collapsed. So when you're doing something, make sure you do it right. Even though you're trying to sell, look, I, I get it. You're trying to provide money for your either found or something, but don't jeopardize somebody else's life because you're doing something wrong or you don't know what you're doing. I'm not a heart surgeon guy. I have tools that can cut out a heart and I can probably staple it back in, but I'm not going to brag that I'm a heart surgeon. So I'm going to do the things that I know and know best, and I'm going to provide a good service for homeowners. And that's what we're doing here on the show. Stick with us because this is the first week of the multiple award winning designer, Donna Hoffman, good friend of the show. She's coming on two great interviews with her coming up, one this week, one next week. And Donna's got a special gift for our listeners, and that is a free download of her ebook. And it's free for just listening to our show so stick with us it's coming up all right we'll be back after we take a quick break We've been telling our listeners about Provia entry doors and windows, but there's a lot more to Provia, right, Kev? Yeah, you bet. Provia is your one source for professional class entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and incredible metal roofing. In fact, Provia makes all the product you need to create the perfect home exterior. They do it all the Provia way, the professional way. Hey, Kev, didn't you just use Provia siding and doors on your home? Yep, the look of my siding and doors have landed me a ton of work. Okay, so what sold you on Provia vinyl siding? The same that sells my customers. Provia Siding Reflex Heat protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup that ensures long-lasting color. Then there's a range of traditional, insulated, and decorative siding profiles, all with the look and feel of real wood. And a selection of now colors, including dark and bold hues. So, what's your take on Provia manufactured stone? The molds of Provia stone are created from natural stones, giving it a quarried stone look with a great range of shapes and sizes. Customers love them, and the 10 choices of color palettes, Provia stone goes with any environment. To see how Provia Siding and Stone combine to create the Provia Perfect Exterior with great curb appeal, visit Provia.com. Click on Designer Collections under the Design It tab. Hey, Kevin here, installing another Provia entry door. I do about 50 or more a year. Schlage knobs, hardware, and handle sets make a great complement to any Provia fiberglass or steel entry door. Provia and Schlage, I think, are the best combination of curb appeal, style, and security money can buy in entry doors. And Schlage now has a complete line of Wi-Fi locks, including the new Encode Plus, which can be locked or unlocked with the tap of an Apple Watch. Amazing. Provia and Schlage, there's no better combination for entry doors. 
Okay, Ron, now it's time for the featured segment with my favorite designer. We've got multiple award-winning uh, interior designer and a great friend and contributor to Your Valuable Home, Donna Hoffman, for valuable advice on what else but interior design. If done right by a professional, interior design can greatly improve a home. If done wrong, it can be damaging to a home's overall aesthetic and to a home's daily enjoyment value, even its resale value, okay? So you can really mess it up if you don't do it right. And everyone listening to this interview with Donna can score a free download of her popular ebook what would an interior designer do it's a checklist your way to a great room from release of this podcast through may 26th okay so you've got to pop onto her website and get this book donna's book is a 27 dollars value and it's free to our your valuable home listeners absolutely free we'll tell you how to get the book free at the end of the interview donna welcome back to your valuable home let's get right hey into guys the great yeah, to be hey, here how you doing great i'm excited to talk to you today yeah we're excited about it too. we are a big mm-hmm. problem you cite is that a lot of design-it-yourselfers unwittingly reduce the square footage, the space of their home, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. mistakes. How does mm-hmm. that happen? When the eye sees a change, the eye stops and says, oh, i got to register that this is a disconnect from what comes after or what came before. Hmm. So when DIY design lovers take a flooring, for example, and they keep cutting up the flooring on a first floor, let's say from the foyer to the kitchen, there's a change, and from the foyer to the living room, there's another change, and from the kitchen to the family room, there's another change. Every time you cut up that flooring, you're going to take your square footage and give it the appearance of shrinking up. So that's one way that DIY design lovers, even though you're paying that mortgage check and even though you bought that residence thinking, "Mm, I want as much space as I can possibly have, then with some counterintuitive design choices like just the one I mentioned, you start to kind of give away your square footage. Overusing dark color and putting dark color in the wrong place is another way to give the appearance of shrinking down your square footage. Those are probably two of the more common mistakes I see that result in that problem. In a big house with big rooms, if you do just the reverse and use dark colors to, you know, close the rooms in a little bit, if, the, if they're really expansive and will have a lot of volume, does, does that work or would, is that a constant no-no? Fabulous, fabulous point. You are so smart. One of the many reasons I love you guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're working on a residence right now out in Idaho, actually, and it has a really big soaring ceiling in this big gesture great room off of the kitchen. And you better believe we know we can be liberal with some dark color in there on the floor. We may be doing, you know, black steel frame windows. We might do some really fabulous multiple light fixtures hanging from this soaring ceiling, maybe in triplicate and a dark metal because we're trying to cozy up that room. So just as dark color can kind of shrink a space a little bit, which sometimes you don't want it to do, other times you want to use that color to cozy up an oversized space. See, design is super strategic and people just don't realize that until they try to do it themselves and think, uh-oh, what's going on here? What do I do now? Why didn't this room come out the way I wanted it to? So dark color versus light color is actually a tool that designers use to push architecture and fool the eye when we need to. You know, you mentioned Idaho. Idaho and Montana. I was out in Montana last August. We spent some time in a dude ranch out there, and all the houses in big sky country are humongous. They are really, a lot, a lot of space, a lot of volume, high ceilings. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. One after the other, after the other, after the other. 
and the trees, the trees are huge out there. I mean, I'm used to, I'm an East Coast kid, so I'm used to like a pine tree. It's a big Christmas tree. Out there, these pines are massive. So there's beautiful big vistas from this residence that we're working on. And the home has a lot of what I call large gesture, big architectural sweeps of things. Yep. And so the, you can't put a lot of little puny you know, furniture in there. It's not like doing a condo in Boston, right? No. Both great places to live, but different scale that you need. Yeah, it's, I mean, the scale of the homes out there is just, it's, I've never seen anything yeah. like it. Another big problem you cite occurs when a design-it-yourselfer homeowner by chance downgrades their home's overall aesthetic. This can happen with one of five interior design no-nos, but when all five happen at the same time, wouldn't that be a big yikes? Yeah. Listen, I love design enthusiasts. I love do-it-yourselfers. And a crazy study was done by house.com, and the question was asked, are you happy with the way your home interior looks and Believe it or not, 98% of people answered no. 98%, which means people are not getting the results that they want. Because when asked, are you, uh, do you at least think you're on track to getting results that you like, less than 50% said yes. So the lack of design strategy understanding out there is rampant because design is a lot like ice skating. It looks really easy to do until you actually try to do it yourself. So there are a couple of mistakes that DIY design lovers, do-it-yourselfers, kind of get themselves into trouble with. And one of the biggest ones, their whole strategy for designing their home or a room is grabbing images from Instagram or Pinterest, and they just have this collection of images, and then they get into analysis paralysis. Well, if I told you and Kevin, why don't you make this triple-layer chocolate pastry, and I'll give you some pictures of pastry, go. Go make it happen. You'd <laughs> be looking luck. like I was Good a Good luck nut. with that, yeah. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So there's one takeaway I'd love for everybody listening to hear. It's that interior design, interior decorating, I use the word design, you can use them interchangeably. Design is an incredibly strategic, formulaic, and believe it or not, logical endeavor. If this, then that. If you do this, you will get that result. So if you are not using design strategy and your whole strategy is, I'm just going to take a bunch of pictures and see what I can do from there, this is how DIYers get super frustrated. This is how projects stall. They never finish. And homes and rooms look kind of cobbled together and people are complaining, I don't like the way this looks, but I don't know what to do instead. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much HGTV you watch and how many pictures you accumulate, that's not the answer. It's learning the strategy. It's learning the formulas that go into it. So that, that would be a big mistake. I have taught, literally, this is not an exaggeration, in my online courses, I've taught thousands of women and some men how to really up-level their design results, doing it on their own, and really surprising themselves with what they can do. They come to me saying, I'm a mess. And I say, no, you're not. You're just missing strategy. Let's get put some strategy in your hands. They tell me all the time that they surprise themselves with the results they get. And I see the before and after pictures, and I'm so proud of what they do. But it's strategy. It's not guesswork. And it's not just a bunch of pictures. Your pictures come in handy, but we'll talk about that in, in a sec. When they go for strategy, I, I always ask them, if you remember the Cola commercial about 10 years ago, a lady walks into a designer and hands them a, a Fairfax. It was a Cola Fairfax faucet and said, design my house around this. Mm -hmm. So, Don, you being the expert, would you inform somebody to say, well, do you start with floors, mm. cabinets, <coughs> countertops, or are you going with furniture? Like, what is your design? Something a little bit more permanent or something like furniture to start your design when you're doing a room? 
tell me, what kind of room is it? Is it a kitchen that is driven by cabinetry, or is it a bedroom where we're adding some built-ins? So define your terms for me, and then I'll answer your question even more intelligently. How about a family room? Okay, so family room. There's a difference between concept and decision. Concept is, all right, Kevin, I want you to build me this addition. We want to add this family room, or, I, or Donna, I want you to design this family room. And this, these pictures show you the concept that I'm aiming. Based upon that concept, the first thing you have to do is figure out somebody's design DNA, their design fingerprint. You know, where do they like color? Do they like color? What kind of shapes and silhouettes do they like in their furnishings? So that's as important in any room as it is in a kitchen or bathroom where you are cabinet-driven. If you are in a furnished space, you don't start with the cabinetry. In a furnished space, you start with what I call the design fingerprint. I like to teach people how to do that, and I even do it with my clients that we do private design for. I have to know who you are in design to be able to design for you. But from there, you don't start with furniture or cabinetry. You've got to start with a furniture layout. And in the case of kitchen, it's cabinetry and furniture layout. You just led me to the one of the huge mistakes, mistake number two that DIY design lovers make. They start their project in the wrong place. Doing a kitchen. Let's, let's go pick out cabinetry. Mm-mm. I'm doing a family room. Let me go pick out furniture. Mm-mm. You need a layout first. It's got to function right. And beyond function, the way a space looks and feels is as much a part of that furniture layout as it is driving the aesthetic. So it's function in a layout, yes, but it's also the aesthetic. If Kevin or I put together a terrible layout for a space, I don't care how beautifully selected the cabinetry and furniture and finishes and rugs were, if it's a terrible, uncomfortable layout, it's going to be ugly. You're mm-hmm. starting your project in the wrong place if you jump right into furniture purchasing or cabinetry design. Does that make sense? Yeah. With certain types of architecture, mid-century modern, Frank Lloyd Wright, arts and crafts, bungalows. You have to be all in with the same style of furniture as the genre of the house. That's a great question, and I get it a lot. I think that you can create a bit of a disconnect if you go uber modern in a Georgian revival structure. However, I think you can take transitional design, which is sort of a mashup between traditional and something else. So you can do transitional that leans somewhat modern. So in a Frank Lloyd Wright, for example, you can do transitional or you can do mid-century modern and it will have you know beautiful sense of place. So yeah, I think you have to look at your architecture. We're, we're looking at a dual shore house project right now. It's one lot, two homes on it, uber modern. We can't put traditional, froofy, fluffy furniture into those spaces with all the soaring glass and all the modern architecture that will be on the interior as well. So I do think you have to look at your architecture. I mean, Kevin, what do you think? Usually what I always try to go with when it's like, say for the kitchen family room, we're doing, we're taking the walls out and everything's all in one piece. When you get in the kitchen, you're actually seeing the family room. Mm-hmm. I kind of let people know the furniture is mm-hmm. probably the last thing you want to pick because furniture, might, what a couch lasts about 10 years where the cabinet's going to last you 30 to 40 years. So make that decision yeah, and then sure. flow from there. Probably the best advice I give. I mean, I try to stay out of the design. I just want to put the stuff in anymore. I usually let people know, like, when I say, are you sure you want to do that? That's when they're doing a lot of crossover in the genre, and I don't like to see that. But that's when a lot of the, the do-it-yourselfers try to do it themselves instead of hire somebody professional to do it. And I said, listen, if you're really stuck, that's where you need to go. You need a professional to come yeah. in and design this. You want a great hack, though, for where you should start a space if it's a non-cabinet-driven space, meaning not kitchen, not bath. Greatest hack in the world, start with your rug. Start with your rug. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. 
know what that floor is, and then you can pull your room together from there as opposed to vice versa. Make that area rug decision if it's wall-to-wall. Get that concept pulled together, and then you can pull your furnishings and colors out from that. In a kitchen, once we have the design layout done in terms of you know what cabinetry is going where, depending upon the client and, and, and the family and who they are and what they love, I might go into door color and style next and do tile after that. But if I know the tile story is really important or the backsplash story, I want to make that decision fairly early. So it depends on what's driving the aesthetic craving of a client. Are we going to do a countertop and run that from that same slab material from stone to up under those cabinets? I might start with that as a concept and back my cabinet color design into that. The difference Smart. between concept and decision. Keep those straight as a DIY design lover and you'll take some pressure off. Concept is the bullseye area zone that I'm aiming for. Now let me explore and see how I get myself there by looking at what's available at the tile store or at the cabinetry group that I'm using. There's a paint brand out there. It always comes up with the color of the year. So if yeah. somebody's influenced about that, you know, like that, is that oh, Oh man, let's go out. We got it's the color of the year. We got to do it. We got to do it. But then what happens next year? What do you do? Are people influenced by that or should they be influenced by that? People are terrified of that. It's brilliant to bring it up. <laughs> you know what? And, and this is what I teach. Color is color. There's no such thing as a good color or a bad color. The colors that you are attracted to, Kevin, are going to be different than the colors perhaps that your wife is attracted to, but there'll be some overlap between you, which may also be different than what, you know, Ron and his wife are attracted to. So everybody has their set point, what colors they, you know, really enjoy being around and then those that they don't. The whole thing about this color, and that's super important to be true to, the whole thing about the color trending is what makes a color trendy is how you use it. It's not the color itself. As a designer, I like to use any color in the palette box that's right for a client, period, end of story. I don't give a rat's wrinkle. If jade green is, is tracking as a hot color, if that's what my client loves, and that's, if that's going to be a gorgeous splash in a you know modern black and white and cream you know interior with a little fleck of jade green now and again, I want to do that. I don't care if the who says powers that be said jade is, is trending right now. So the thing to know is how you use the color that makes it really trendy. For example, remember about 10 years ago, that restoration hardware look where you had the gray walls and the gray sofas and the gray area rugs and then the gray furniture that looked like it was driftwood. I mean, gray was everywhere in the same room. That was trendy. However... The color gray, it's a fantastic neutral. Albert Hadley was using it in the 50s and 60s. It's a fabulous color. So it's not that gray is off trend. It's putting gray everywhere, like that restoration hardware picture I just painted in your head. That was a trend. You talking about my sense? house? <laughs> that sounds exactly like mine. No, you're so right. You're so right. On an overcast day where it's gray outside, you'd be absolutely abysmally depressing, wouldn't it? That's a matter of personal preference. Mm-hmm. And there are people who love gray and want to be dressed oh, I do. gray I do. You know, head yeah. to toe. But I'm just talking about when color gets very trendy in interior design. It's how the color is being used even more than the color itself. I will never give up on gray. It's a fantastic neutral. White, black, cream, tan, gray. Gray's on that neutral list, but Mm -hmm. it's how much of it is how you are using it. And then the other side of the coin is, what are you finding at retail? As a 
custom designer, I can find anything I want because I can just have it made. Consumers can only see what your furniture stores have bought and brought in. So that's where you're affected by trend in terms of what you're seeing and what you won't see as easily. So that's where it gets a little dicey. Well, Don, you know what I also do? I'll give an example for my shore house. When we bought it 10 years ago, we did a little more of the earth colors, the sandy browns, a lot of the creamer colors. But when I did the tile in the kitchen, I did a nice neutral backsplash, which was basically white subway. Right. But I picked the floor to match the granite countertops. But I brought that through to my master bathroom. Now, the master bathroom, I always try to let people know that when you tile, you're picking your tile, it's going to probably be a 30-year decision. But we can always change it in certain ways by paint. So I tried to pick something that was earthy, but a little more gray and different varieties of gray. Mm-hmm. So I painted it an earthy color 10 years ago. Three years after mm-hmm. that, I changed it to a little more of a brown color. And it completely mm-hmm. changed. And I just did it again about two months ago to that light gray color. It complete, completely changed. It gives a whole the different personality. At yeah. a minimal cost. Mm-hmm. So if you can get the tile mm-hmm. right from the beginning, something that's more permanent, paint could be an easy way and an inexpensive way to change something with a different look that you're going to be really happy with. Yeah, and paint is, paint is the biggest bang for the buck change you can I agree. make in any interior always. And there are there are uh, you know interior design influencers that that are singing from the rafters: subway tile, subway tile, subway tile. 